Welcome into another edition of the Hang Time Podcast. I'm Sekou Smith here in Atlanta. My main man, John Schumann, is in New Jersey behind the glass. Jonathan Hartzell, our producer. Huge and wild nights continue in this NBA season. Derrick Rose and Clay Thompson have both knocked down 50 point games since we last talked. I don't even shoot the Derrick Rose thing. Clay, I knew was coming out of the slump at some point. I'm, I'm never worried about one of the Splash Brothers staying in a slump for too long. But the Derrick Rose 50 point game, new career high for a guy, you know, who's an MVP, but who has since fallen precipitously from that level of play. For him to go out and get a 50-point game for the Minnesota Timberwolves with all the drama they've had, pretty remarkable. Just if you're talking about the purely the game that he played and the way he got those 50. It was, I don't want to say it was vintage Derrick Rose, but he certainly turned the clock back to a time when Derrick Rose was considered one of the truly elite players in the league. Yeah, I mean, and he was doing it against uh, one of the best defensive teams in the league and, and one of the best rim protectors, probably the best rim protector in the league. It's always interesting for me to see or to watch guys who like to attack playing against uh, Rudy Gobert. And there's a couple times where he got Gobert out by the foul line and got past him. There's a couple times where he just went straight at him at the rim, met him at the rim and scored around him or scored over him. And then obviously his jumper was falling and his floater was falling. Um, it was, you know, I don't think we ever thought we'd ever see a night like that from him again after all the injuries he's dealt with. So <laughs> the Minnesota, I still don't know what to think of Minnesota overall, just because <laughs> the whole Jimmy Butler situation continues to be a mess. He's not playing, you know, some reporting that he's not playing because he's trying to expedite a trade, some reporting that he's not playing because the Wolves said not to play or in some reporting that or and then him saying that no I just need the rest so I, I mean I it's a, I still don't know what to think of this team you know they are getting by they've got a couple they picked up a couple of wins along the way and sort of hanging around and and we'll see if a trade comes and if they have a playoff caliber roster post trade what kind of pieces they can get but to have a guy like Rose to be able to give them a big game when they're really shorthanded says you know I, still, I don't know. It's it's a great it's a great it's a, it's a good on court development for them. Obviously, to have another guy who can get buckets, who ha- to have a bench that they can sort of some, somewhat rely on more than they have ever had to uh, in the past. Yeah, the the reaction around the league was pretty telling. The respect that Derrick Rose gets from his peers was interesting. You know, LeBron James went out of his way to talk about Derrick Rose, as you mentioned, the injuries that derailed his career and certainly sidelined his career. That, I think, kind of performance resonated with a lot of guys who have competed against him and know what he was about before the injury. So, yeah, good for Derrick Rose. Big performance for him. But you're right. It, it, the Timberwolves situation is still as crazy as it's ever been. And there's no end in sight, apparently, between Jimmy Butler and the organization and what's going to happen. Later in the show, we will be joined by Eric Kareen of The Athletic to talk about positive stories. The 7-1 Toronto Raptors and, and what they got going on, which is pretty spectacular as well. Clay Thompson, shoot, I know we went back and forth clowning around about Clay when he was in his slump. I may have mentioned in passing that he did the rockabye baby on you by by breaking out of the slump, and then you, of course, pointed out that you never you never technically said he should stop all shooting. I, all I cited was his his shooting. <laughs> it's my job, you know, to to note statistical uh, trends and anomalies going on in the NBA, and you like. Oh, Oh, he should start. He should uh, keep shooting as if everybody else was saying, no, he should retire and <laughs> or, or go to the CBA, go play in China, something like that. 
Well, I'm just, so, yeah, I'm just tracking your, you. your plus minus Congratulations tweets. to you yeah. for telling him that he should keep shooting. I'm sure <laughs> that you're the you're the reason why he came out in Chicago the other night and put 14 and set a record. Yeah, I'll take I'll take my bow and I'll take my credit where I can get it. Shoe the Warriors though. I, I don't know if anybody ever got off of the the train about who and what they are this season. Shoot, they don't look like they've missed a beat to me. Yeah, I've been thoroughly impressed with their young guys. Damian Jones, I think, as a big man, has really stood out Kevon Looney and Boogie's working out getting ready to come back are they going to ruin this season in terms of suspense you know because I mean if Boogie comes back and they end up being as good as we think they could be who in the world is going to stop them you know there's, it's always a storyline there's the macro storyline of it's the Warriors and it's everybody else but I, obviously I get lost in the details during the season and even during the first few rounds of the playoffs and and and, and seeing other teams and how they develop and what they can do or whatever but yeah I mean I don't feel like they They've even really flipped the switch. True, truly, like I don't feel like they've been playing their best. They just have ridiculous talent. Where any uh, one of three guys can have a huge offensive game. I mean, we talked about it in our blog table questions yesterday. Like there was a game in Utah earlier in the season where Utah just had an incredible second quarter and what should have been blowing the Warriors out. Except that Durant had an incredible second quarter where they just gave him the ball and he just went and got buckets. It wasn't like the Warriors basketball four years ago pre-Durant where like the ball was moving and, and they were locking down defensively and it was playing together and playing hard. It was just Durant just getting buckets and keeping them in that game that they eventually won down the stretch with Durepko's tip in. They don't have that just one-on-one talent. You know, they don't win that game. And so there's sometimes right. where it's just... Durant and Curry playing one-on-one and keeping them in games or winning them games. Like, uh, you know, New York is another example. But there's other times, yeah, they do have that Warriors type play where they just play together. I think when Thompson's scoring, I think it's a lot. The ball movement, the player movement, you can really see it come out a little bit more versus when Durant has a big game and it, it, may, it might be a little bit more one-on-one stuff. If I could do any nitpicking with the Warriors and it's something rather tedious and minor, they put up 149 points in that game and they could have easily chased 200. It, no, I'm serious. If they want to do something, like if they just got really bored one night and were cooking, I would love to see them try and blow up a scoreboard. Like just just to see, uh, just to see if they could do uh, it. Just I'm if it, take a peek you know. at their uh, future schedule right now. Let's see. <laughs> They're on a. They just started a five game homestand. They got Minnesota, Memphis, Milwaukee, and Brooklyn. I guess Minnesota is probably the best defense on that, or the worst defense on that list, and that would be their their best right. opportunity. But they do play the Hawks in about a week and a half or so. so. I'm just saying. I- I'd love to see if they – I mean, just to see. I mean, the Cavs just had a huge game against the Hawks. So if the Cavs can have a huge right. game against the Hawks. I would just enjoy watching a team that has chased other records in the past. Let's just see if they could – see what they could do. Well, Clay, Clay Thompson listened to you as far as, you know, <laughs> uh, telling him to keep shooting. So maybe they'll, maybe they'll listen to you now and, and go for – what is the record for most points in the game? Is it like 186? It, is it that one game, that Pistons um, – Pistons Nuggets, right? Nuggets game from – Yeah, I, I want to see – I just love to see how close they could get. It would be it would be a fantastic thing to watch. We've seen them do basically everything else in this stretch. <laughs> why, why not go for that record? I want to see Draymond Green go for 50. Like, I want to see, like <laughs> – 
<laughs> now you now you're asking for miracles. Come on now. The the Bucks, by the way, uh, you know, not to bury the lead here. The, the Milwaukee Bucks shoe of all teams are, are the last undefeated team standing in the league. Handled a Kawhi-less Toronto Raptors team on Monday night. Big game against the Boston Celtics tonight on TNT. A, a measuring stick game, if to me, if if you will. Who else is still has you your interest peaked three weeks deep into the season? What other team maybe is doing stuff that you maybe weren't sure they were capable of or that you've been surprised that they've been able to do? Oh, it's got to be two Western Conference teams, the Grizzlies and the Kings. Grizzlies, as we speak, are four and two. The Kings are five and three. Grizzlies doing it with a lot with defense, sort of back to playing ugly games, but it's working for them. And the Kings, I mean... I don't even know <laughs> what to say about this team. They're just playing fantastic. Uh, Willie Cauley-Stein has been terrific, sort of a, a most improved candidate. De'Aaron Fox, obviously, is the guy pushing the pace for them, but Bielitsa is playing great. Buddy Heald is shooting well again. I guess that's the surprise team for me, for sure. Yeah, we got a chance to talk with uh, Marvin Bagley the third in studio last night on NBA TV. I, I, knew, he was, I knew he was tall. I mean, I knew he was a, a guy with some really – spectacular length and I know how athletic he is and what kind of skill he has I didn't realize how mature he was like he was like freakishly mature for a 19 year old kid now that's not hard to do when you walk into a studio with me in 3d acting like trick-or-treaters all night but it was just impressive kind of the makeup of this young guy the Kings for so long seem like they've missed on on these players they pick high in the the draft the last couple years it seems like they turned that around maybe their luck is getting a little better so I'll be curious to see what kind of season he can have what kind of impact he can have. He's coming off the bench for the first time in his life. A, a guy that talented wasn't just kind of thrown right into the mix as a starter out there, which speaks a little bit to what Dave Yeager's got going on with that group and maybe what kind of makeup they're going to have moving forward is that they won't continually throw these young guys you know, into the fire before they're ready. As I mentioned, you you can't keep going on this podcast without mentioning the Toronto Raptors and just the unbelievable start they've had to their season with Kawhi Leonard in the fold. Joining us now, Eric Kareem from The Athletic. Eric, first and foremost, tell us what the vibe is for this team, given the the fallout when DeMar DeRozan was traded and all of the, the bad vibes that a lot of people had about the way it was done. Has this start changed some opinions about that and kind of smoothed that over with people in Toronto? The fans are giving some pretty vociferous MVP chants to Kawhi Leonard, who has yet to play a game on the road. So uh, I think things are <laughs> fine from that perspective. In terms of internally, the only guy that you were really worried about was Kyle Lowry. And my thought was always that, yeah, he'll probably be a little upset, a little hurt by this. And he's going to show some people that maybe that's the case. But you know, I wrote a I wrote a long piece. Uh, if allow me a cheap plug for the Athletic as part of our heartbeat of the NBA series, and I wrote it on Kyle and his competitiveness, and talked to a bunch of people about how that sort of has formed the foundation of the Raptors' identity. And the point was, whenever Lowry hits the floor, and I'm not even talking about in a game in a scrimmage. Like, he can't help himself but to try and find any angle to win. And, you know, once they got to the court, Nick Nurse has a saying, just get me to the court and things will be okay. And that seems to be what's happening. I mean, there's probably still some hurt feelings, some oddness about the whole thing. But they're playing, you know, we've seen the struggles that Boston have had uh, in terms of putting together an offense. And the Raptors are adding a new highest usage player and they just haven't had those same struggles. I think everything is 
at least in terms of the on-court product is copacetic. Things are things are going just fine. The one thing I've noticed with with Lowry is, you know, he's got was he averaging eleven assists per game and a ton of them are to Serge Ibaka. Ibaka was a guy that we almost started to write off, I think, in the postseason last year. At one point in that in the playoffs, he became almost unplayable. What have you seen from him that's different this year? Is it just playing at center that that's makes that makes a, a huge difference? Well that's the biggest thing. They've punted the big lineups for now. For Forever a team that you could have gone away with a Valanchunas, Ibaka front court. It was probably Philadelphia, given their lack of shooting. And, you know, Ibaka's fine to sort of check Dario Saric, but they didn't do it. It was still the one true big man at all times with Pascal Siakam or another swingman roaming the four. And he's just, I mean, his defense is... There's just so much more utility to him playing that position. In terms of his offense, you're putting him in a lineup with a bit more spacing and certainly more ball creation with Siakam in that starting unit right now. And I think he's probably hitting an unsustainable number of uh, short mid-rangers to even uh, long mid-rangers. So I, I expect that to come down, but they're definitely using him in the right place. And it's also early in the season. Once we get into the muck of the season, we'll see how he's doing. I, I don't necessarily predict this sort of sustained success, but they just have him in the right place, and that's going to make him more useful than he was last. The one, other, the, yeah, the, so I one of the other thing that I've noticed is is that they're seven and one without getting great minutes from their bench right now. I mean, this was the best bench in the league last year, and if you look at their lineups, they're a plus seventy four with Lowry, Green, Leonard, Siakam on the floor with either Ibaka or Valanciunas at center. So they're a plus 74 with, with basically they're starting four plus either one of the centers and a minus seven otherwise. So they're basically doing this without much from their bench. And they've had some injuries, injuries and absences, I know, with Van Vliet and, and Anobi. Do you look at that as a as a sort of a positive that like this could this could only get better because once their bench is, is healthy again and starts and finds its rhythm, that this team could just be even better? Or do you feel like there's cause for concern? I mean, there's cause for concern in the fact that this is a group that's going to sort of change and morph in terms of personnel as the year goes on. Nick Nurse has talked about how he wants to take guys in and out of the starting lineup. I mean, with as much success as those four guys you mentioned have had together, it'll be interesting to see if he still does that. You know, the natural thing would be to have maybe Ananobi slip in for Siakam on some occasions. I think Green, Lowry, and Leonard are certainly entrenched in the starting unit. But you want that group to just get minutes to play with each other and develop that familiarity, which was certainly a huge part of how they had success last year. So that's a concern. But Fred Van Vliet was always the guy who made that group go last year. So his absence uh, from a toe injury is certainly certainly meaningful. DeLon Wright still working his way back into health. They've basically been at a place for the last few games where Lorenzo Brown has been the primary creator, uh, at least when Siakam hasn't joined those groups. And Lorenzo Brown, you know, the reigning G League MVP is, you know, our equivalent, I think, of quadruple A player, like better, certainly better than the G League. And just like on the periphery of being an NBA player, and he sort of, uh, it's a hard thing to do to come from a situation where you're, you're the guy just trying to fit in. And he's been pretty solid, and his weakness is sort of being aggressive with seeing his shot and, and where his shot. And as you guys know, 
when one guy isn't as willing to take a shot, that allows the defense to reset and you're struggling to, you know, get the defense on the move. But getting Van Vliet back, Van Vliet, Van Vliet back will be, a, will be a very big thing, as will getting Ananobi, who will just add to their transition game and certainly creating the stops that should allow this group to uh, create stuff on the move. Eric, what discernible difference is there to the way this team operates? I don't even know if it's something that's on the court. I don't know if it's maybe just the way they function as a group off the court, but what has been the the one difference in the way Nick Nurse is running things compared to the way Dwayne Casey ran them with the Raptors? The most obvious thing is that sort of switching of the starting lineup because the Raptors, as John alluded to, were so defined by having these two two groups last year. There were the starters and there were there was the bench. And it's not like they were doing five on five off switches, but it was close to that at times, you know? Like both of those groups played a lot of minutes. You know, I haven't looked at the numbers, but that five man bench group, first of all, many teams don't play a five man bench group that often. And they certainly don't play them with that, you know, sort of consistency. I think they neared four hundred total minutes, uh, which is pretty significant over the course of the season. Dwayne Casey is very big on role definition, very big on his players knowing approximately when they're going to come into a game, when they're going to get out of a game, and what is expected of them when they are on the floor. Whereas Nick Nurse wants this team, wants it really not to matter who's starting on any given night, uh, with the idea being... In the playoffs, you're going to get forced into lineups that aren't that normal just because of matchups and how one weakness in the playoffs is something that the opponent will exploit and exploit and exploit until you're forced to change it. And that's how you end up with these bizarre lineups. And so Nick Nurse wants to get all of these potential looks. He, he wants the Raptors to be ready to play like that. So that's the biggest thing. I think he's, you know, just by personality. He's a bit of a, a looser personality than Dwayne Casey, who's always next game, very focused, very professional. And, you know, that's how the Raptors had so much regular season success is because over 82 games, like, your mind can wander a lot and he never let them get too far off track. And the Raptors definitely have an eye toward the playoffs considering, you know, what's happened to them in the reg- in the playoffs in the past few years. And so the balance for Nick Nurse to walk will be, let's keep on preparing for the future, which we feel is ine- inevitable without punting too many regular season games away because we were just thinking about other things or weren't particularly focused on the task at hand. Right. Anybody surprised by how much they've gotten out of Danny Green? The throw-in to the, the DeRozan-Leonard trade, who's been fantastic, shooting 47% from three? I mean, I think everybody sort of expects that that number will come down because most players don't end up shooting 47% from three-point range. You know, when that trade went down and, and when it was reported that the Raptors were seriously interested, I just figured Patty Mills would be the throw-in because it's a more, you know, it's a contract, uh, it's a worse contract or it's at least a contract that lasts longer and that they can get green and fill that, that backcourt or wing spot uh, with somebody who's, 
regardless of how, you know, he's not a creator primarily, but he'll hit shots and he'll play some pretty fantastic defense, especially in transition. You know, that's perfect for this team that's going to have Kyle Lowry and Kawhi Leonard as your main creators, your main ball handlers. So people are delighted at how healthy and how spry he looks because obviously last year was a bit of a trial on that front. They're obviously delighted with the shooting, but I don't think anybody is particularly surprised at how he carries himself or how he's just fitting in general. Obviously, a shot <laughs> a shot going in that often makes you fit better, but you know it always made sense from a let's plug a guy in between our two two all stars. Uh, his his skill set makes a lot of sense. Eric, I know that Masai Ujiri took a lot of heat for the way the DeRozan deal was handled, and if you're in his seat, the calculated risk you're, you're taking is that you'll be able to convince Kawhi Leonard in one form or fashion that Toronto and the Raptors are good fit for him going forward. Is this something that maybe gets tabled throughout the course of the regular season that Masai certainly is not going to spend all his time talking about? We know Kawhi is not going to spend his time talking about it because he doesn't like to talk very much at all. But is that something that is kind of on a dual track with whatever they're doing on the court this season? Just whatever kind of environment they create to make Kawhi as comfortable as possible. So when he has a decision to make in free agency, Toronto gets considered when, had he not been traded there, they probably wouldn't have been on his list. Well, I don't know if you heard this, but Kawhi Leonard is a fun guy. So he, <laughs> you know, he probably loves to chat. He's going to have the most open dialogue you can imagine. <laughs> Seriously, Masai Ujiri said, we're not going to like make this huge sales pitch to him. And it was all part of his, his media day salvo where he's saying, we're Toronto and we should stop feeling like we're second class. This is a great city, which is true, even if it hasn't historically been true at the NBA level. Certainly as a, a global city, a great North American city, it's right up there. So I think that was the message uh, to fans and media to stop treating the city and the franchise like a second-class citizen. But the reality is they've never pulled in the sort of massive free agent. They've had trouble getting their own stars to stay. Lowry and DeRozan, certainly the exceptions to that rule. I think they're going to focus on the on-court product this year. And there's not going to be talk about, hey, you know, are you enjoying this? But what they are going to do is they're going to treat them like a superstar. Because if you heard some of the rumblings, his dissatisfaction with the Spurs might have started when he was maybe being product of the Spurs system where no right. player is above the team, where it's total quality, below pop. And that was the product of Tim Duncan. Like, you know, there's a lot of people have said the Spurs culture comes down to Tim Duncan because he was the rare superstar that was able to, to act like that. And, you know, when Kawhi Leonard goes to All-Star Games, and sees how James Harden is treated or sees how Russell Westbrook is treated or sees how Steph Curry and Kevin Durant are treated by their franchises, he rightly thinks, well, why doesn't my franchise necessarily do that for me? And I'm not saying they didn't. I don't know the particulars, but that's some of the buzz. So I think they're gonna, there's going to be a dialogue in terms of what he wants for the season, how he's comfortable. And then, you know, hopefully, in their minds, hopefully they make the finals, give Golden State a series, maybe, you know, get injury luck and do that it all starts though with with having a great season right. that's the most important thing and then when you get to his free agency that's when you make the sell job like to not do that would sort of be not doing your job but the idea is he's seen most of that and he understands most of that and he understands what a good 
you know, what a great place this is to live. And also, isn't it fun playing with Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam and Jonas Valanciunas and OG Ananobi, who's like a mini you in some ways? And you're the leader. Isn't that rewarding? And if it's not, and he wants to go home and, and live by the beach, well, so be it. And the Raptors will go to plan B. And I think they're okay with that, even if it's not ideal. But I think that's basically the plan. And to put pressure on him in the middle of the season would only do them a disservice. Yeah, it makes sense. I did have one other question about Kawhi, his, just his game. He played nine games last year for San Antonio. And I can't tell you, Eric, how many people I talked to throughout the course of last season who started doubting him. Like, well, you know, he, I don't know if he's really that good anyway. The Spurs can make, you know, they can make the playoffs without him. It's not that big a deal. And then you watch him the first seven games of this year and it's kind of this reminder of just how dynamic a player he had become before the injuries a couple of years ago in the playoffs where he was I would I was arguing then he could make a legitimate case for being the best two-way player in the league at that time based on how good he'd become offensively and the fact that he was in most estimates the best perimeter defender in the league has his start to this season been a reminder for you or for anybody else you think that had conveniently forgotten just how dynamic a player Kawhi Leonard really is well he could have been the MVP that season, let's be honest. Yeah. That was the Russell Westbrook triple-double season that looking back, uh, I, I think there are some questions, not to say Russell Westbrook or James Harden or Kawhi Leonard or probably LeBron James. I don't remember his season numbers. Any of those guys that season, you could have built a pretty special case for and, and given it to them. But Leonard was a legitimate top-five player and certainly the most complete two-way player mm-hmm. uh, if you're putting as much value on every defensive possession as you are on every offensive possession. And I think there were legitimate concerns about his injury and just because of the mysterious nature of it and because of what went down with hers, is this guy going to be the same player? And he's obviously a brilliant physical specimen, but He's not freakish like Giannis Antetokounmpo or Anthony Davis. Like he's not, he doesn't, when you look at the court, you're not like that guy's that different unless you become obsessed with hand size for some reason. Uh, so I, I think in that sense, it's easy. It was easy to forget. And also, he had only been that high usage superstar for like one and a half seasons. Sure. I think that was the other question. It wasn't like the Spurs were building to that and they were building to running their offense through him. But there was still Parker and Ginobili and, you know, the deepest team in the league and a team that was always hesitant to go too far in, in, one, in one player's direction. And it was heading there it was there, but there wasn't this long track record that, say, a Westbrook or a uh, a Harden or how Milwaukee figures to build with Giannis. So I think those were the doubts, and I I think they're all fair to an extent, Mm. but they're certainly being quieted now. I mean, the way he just sort of devoured Ben Simmons on... uh, on Tuesday was special to watch. No question. Eric, John Schumann always tries to stump myself and whatever guests we have on the Hang Time Podcast here with a stat trivia question that, I'll be honest, our guests here recently have been outstanding. They've they've saved my bacon. So I'm hoping that you can dig into your vast knowledge of the NBA <laughs> and help me out here to keep from embarrassing myself yet again and uh, figure out the Schumann stat this week. Shoot. 
All right. This one is not really um, statistical based, but it, it's a fun sort of historical one. So Ty Lu was uh, fired on Sunday, just 28 months or so after winning a championship with the Cavs. So my question for you is, who was the last coach fired in the middle of a season or, you know, as the season's going on by a team he won a championship with? Great question. Wait a minute. Did, did he do it as the head coach of the team? Like he won yes, the championship. Yes, he yes. was the head coach. Uh, yeah, he, he he was the head coach of a championship team and was fired later on in the middle of a season by that same wow. team. So theoretically, it could have been five years later in the middle of a season. <laughs> correct. Okay. Correct. Same uh, and the same situation is is Ty, Ty But it would have to be in the middle of a season. So like Larry, Larry Brown doesn't count, and I'm not even sure that was a right. firing. That was a mutual parting of. Yeah, they sort of. I think that was a Detroit decision in 2005. Anyway, uh, we're getting right. off topic. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yes. Let's. Uh, sorry, let me go back in the championship bank uh, here and and see. I mean. You got the Miami championships, and that's Spolstra, and then you've got the Golden State, and that's Kerr. So we ha- Carlisle hasn't been fired. Uh, Popovich still there. Phil Jackson still. Uh, Phil Jackson left after the season. Popovich still there. Uh, yeah. Pat Riley. Doc went, Doc went from Boston to Boston to L.A. to you know in the middle and, in the summer. Jeez, uh. we're. Uh, I think we're going into the 90s at least, if not before then. Keep going. Uh, oh, keep going. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, uh, hold on, hold on. You're on the right track with, with mentioning Riley. Yeah, so uh, who was the Clipper, Paul, who was the Lakers coach before? Uh, Paul Westhead. Paul Westhead, correct. Yep, won, there we Paul go. Won the 1980 championship with the Lakers, stayed for another full season, and then was fired 11 games into the 81-82 season. So that was 37, yeah. 37 years wow. ago was the last time we had a guy fired in the middle of the season after winning a championship with that season. Well, or three and a half years before I was born. So uh, I pre- appreciate that. I did read uh, the Showtime book, which uh, yes. which helped me with that. Anyway, I think that was good teamwork, Seiko. I do too, Eric. I, I, I do realize, though, that Shu, when he comes up with these questions, and I, I say this all the time, Eric, I have no idea what goes on between the ears. John Schumann. Some yeah. of the no, he's not a nice person. He just likes to embarrass you. Uh, it's, 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 it's trends and anomalies. I pick up on those trends and anomalies. So the Tyron, to Tyron, thing was certainly an anomaly where a guy wins a championship and then gets fired by that same team. Yeah, although one could one can argue he just won the lottery. <laughs> I think the only ones, yeah, the only ones I could figure out that actually were fired by the team they won a championship were I think Larry Brown in 2005, and then Bill Fitch was fired by the Celtics in '83, having mm-hmm. won. I think it was the I guess it was the '81 title with the Celtics. But don't I mean don't we expect Larry Brown to get fired whether he you know no matter no, what we expect, him to find, we expect him to leave early like leave it like decide <laughs> oh you know what I think I want to go back to you know I mean I think most of the most of his places where he was like oh I you know I see greener pastures somewhere else and him leaving you know yeah well I mean it, there's going to be a parting of the ways with Larry Brown one way or another 
whatever team he's coaching. Eric Kareem from The Athletic joining us on the Hangtime Podcast this week. Eric, we appreciate it. We are we're making plans. John Schumann has applied for citizenship in uh, Toronto. Not in Canada, just in That's Toronto. second home. He's, he's infatuated with the place. Yes, he loves it. Building up those Porter uh, frequent flyer miles. <laughs> I know how you love Porter, uh, John. The, the island airport is one of I can't call it like uh, the best kept secrets because it's neither a secret or a well kept one. But if you can ever fly into Porter versus or to the island airport versus the monstrosity that is Pearson, <laughs> please do so. The two C's convenience and cookies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll pitch that to them as a, as a slogan. I know. A yes, guy. I like it. I like it. Eric Green from the athletic. Join us here on the Hangtime Podcast. We appreciate you, Eric. Been looking forward to reading your stuff, man, all year and uh, seeing what this Raptors team does. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, guys. Be well. You too. Shoot, I got to applaud you. You actually came up with a question this this week that I had working knowledge of. Once you once we started going down that rabbit hole, I was counting those years, and I was like, hey, but I might actually know this freaking answer. It's weird. Like, it, like we, I think we didn't appreciate how weird it was for yes. a championship coach to get fired like yeah. that. You know, it's I mean, it's unbelievable that it that it was that long between those instances. It it, it turned out great for the Lakers, by the way. Yeah. They they certainly went on to a run of tremendous success after that. I don't see Magic Johnson and a few other Hall of Famers waiting in the wings in Cleveland right now, though. So <laughs> I, I'm not going to predict championship glory for the Cavaliers moving forward. We'll be back on Monday, as we will all season on Mondays and Thursdays with the Hangtime Podcast. Tomorrow, though, the very first Kia race to the MVP ladder will be on NBA.com. Shu, I'm expecting some hate from you for something that's in there. I don't know if the order is going to have you upset or what, but I, I will be very disappointed if I don't get a text from you complaining about the placement of someone on the first MVP letter. I've come to enjoy and appreciate you and Jared Greenberg always having something to say about the MVP letter when it hits NBA.com on Fridays. Be sure to subscribe to Hangtime on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts for new episodes every Monday and Thursday all season long. Don't forget to leave a review. And remember, John Schumann, the man known as the human computer, is all about convenience and cookies. <laughs>